Welcome to the Devil's Junkie Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Amson. Uh, we've got a good show. Maybe maybe not great, but good. Uh, got to be honest. i uh, got a good show for you. Um, we have, uh, actually, what makes it great is Antonio Longino, former ASU linebacker, uh, is going to be on the show talking about his upcoming book. Uh, definitely excited about that. Uh, also have Jack Harris talking ASU baseball uh, and their struggles and where the sort of light at the end of the tunnel is, uh, if there is one. And, um, uh, yeah, we'll talk some Manny Wilkins. We'll talk some recruiting. So let's get to it. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town Arizona State continues its eventful off-season. I mean, it, there, there's not much going on football-wise uh, outside of just curiosity of what the Herm Edwards era is going to be like, what it's going to be like to have a coach who was out of football for eight years on TV for the last eight years talking football. And so, you know, you have um, different publications that have come out to do profiles, talk about what might work, what might not work. Uh, it's always an interesting contrast um, when you think about the fact that a lot of people are coming from at this from the angle that this uh, at face value will not work, but here's how it could. Um, that's what I, I, I would say most of what I read uh, is from members of the national media that are um, sort of taking the same route into, you know, um, optimism surrounding Arizona State's football program, uh, because that's, I mean, no one's going to want to read something that's, you know, at face value, this won't work, the end. And so everyone's going to want to find try to find some type of angle that goes against the the, the national consensus uh, that was that was put out there. Uh, and they're going to want to talk about how it could possibly work. And, and, and that's been pretty much the standard for everybody. And it's been kind of interesting to see how different people go about it. Um, one article that actually just came out today, Bill Connolly from SB Nation, who, who does deep numbers dives and, and analytics about most college football programs. He's a pretty well-read, well-respected guy. Um, jumped into the topic of Arizona State um, and uh, and just talked about what exactly it would take for Arizona State to succeed um, in 2018. So we're talking immediate success, and it, which I think is a fair expectation of Arizona State, considering you know that a coach that had been to five bowl games in his six seasons is the one that departed. It's not like. Um, it's, it's not like the team just came off a four and eight season. Uh, and, and even the one bad season that they did have, you know, they started four and oh, and so there, there's an expectation that there should be some immediate success there. I see a lot of fans on Twitter sort of calling for a grace period. And I don't think that we're necessarily in the area, uh, in the era of grace periods when it comes to football coaches in general, but especially in a situation where you've been to five bowl games in six years, I think the minimum expectation should at least be uh, maintenance. Maintenance should be the minimum expectation for for what Arizona State is able to do. So um, in my mind, uh, six and six season is the floor for Arizona State if you're going to make a move like this, if you're Ray Anderson. And anything beyond that um, 
would would essentially, I think, be a bonus in, in a head coach's first year. Sometimes you see immediate dividends paid when you make a coaching switch. Uh, I, had, I had talked on the uh, Speak of the Devils podcast uh, with my friends Brad Denny and Joe Healy about how sometimes I viewed um, – Todd Graham is a fixer and not a fixture. He came in and fixed some of the previous issues that existed in the Dennis Erickson era, but he he was not meant to really be a fixture. He had limitations on what he was able to do. And it's very possible that Herm Edwards comes in and addresses some of the limitations that uh, Todd Graham had. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's in it for the long haul as well. He may have coaching flaws. I mean, we have to we have to wait to find out. Ultimately, there are very few coaches who last uh, in the college coaching ranks anyway. I mean, you have guys like Kirk Ferentz out there who seems to have a job for life. Nick Saban, who's probably going to coach as long as he wants to coach. Um, I think Pat Fitzgerald out at Northwestern is going to be there as long as he wants to be there. David Shaw at Stanford. But, you know, other than that, it's it, – it, almost become the expectation that, you know, any, anywhere between four and six years for a, for a college coach, regardless of their level of success. Um, you know, not everybody can be Michigan state, Northwestern or, or Alabama, you know, teams like that, that seem to have a long marriage to a certain, uh, coaching staff, um, despite who comes and goes as the athletic director or what the circumstances are. So, um, you know, Bill Connolly in this article, in this SBNation.com article, he he re-mentions that he thinks that uh, the Herm Edwards hire was odd, but that there are things that can be done to make sure that uh, that the the there's ultimately immediate success. And one of them includes, you know, bringing in Casey Tucker from Stanford as a grad transfer who can help shore up the offensive line. I think you'll see a guy, uh, you know, this is me talking now. I think you'll see a guy like Zach Robertson who lost a bunch of weight and, and has seemed to sort of get some things together in his life in the offseason. I think you'll see him um, lock down one of the offensive line spots. And then you have Quinn Bailey, who's already been a multiple, multiple year starter. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a promise, um, surrounding a couple of the other players in the offensive line. So I think, you know, that'll probably shore up fine. Um, another thing that he mentions is that the uh, the first full recruiting class for, for Herm Edwards, and that's something we're going to get into in a little bit here, the first full recruiting class for Herm Edwards needs to be ranked in the top 20. That's going to be difficult um, in that, you know, that was a hard thing for Todd Graham to even do. Uh, and I know Todd Graham, obviously, he had his re- detractors as far as, you know, when it came to recruiting. He did bring in some very, very talented recruits, especially when supplementing from the junior college level. Um, but it's going to be tough for any coach at Arizona State to have a top 20 class. I think a top 30 class would be a much better um, much better expectation. And I, I would think that anything in the top 35 at this point would be considered, uh, at least in my view, would be considered a success for for um, Herm Edwards' first full season. And there might be people out there that say, well, what about Ray Anderson, what he said he wants four and five stars? Yeah, I mean, everybody wants four and five stars. Uh, I don't necessarily think that Ray Anderson's comment came from a place of complete and total understanding of how recruiting works and how recruiting rankings work. I think it's important to be in contention for some of those guys, and I think Todd Graham was often in contention for some of those guys. Uh, But I think it's probably going to be – it's at least going to take a year of players seeing that Herm Edwards is able to have success at Arizona State before they're willing to come out and commit to a guy like him. Remember, we're sitting here at the end of May uh, without any public verbal commitments to Arizona State being on the board um, for ASU right now. And so it's going to take somebody, um, it's going to take somebody big sort of, you know, 
crossing that uh, imaginary line and uh, suiting up for Arizona State for other kids to envision themselves doing the same thing. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to happen in year one. So a top 35 class, Bill Connolly says top 20, um, that would be a miracle in my mind. Uh, top 35, I think, would be indicative of, of, of a really successful go um, for Herm Edwards. Uh, another thing that he mentions here, um, you know, he, he gets into the idea that they wanted to keep the, the coordinators um, and it, if the coordinators were so good that they wanted to keep, then why fire the guy that originally hired those coordinators? I don't necessarily think that's a fair question. It does remind me of when Michael Crow reminded then Tucson star reporter Zach Rosenblatt that uh, at Bobby Hurley's introductory presser that uh, that Herb Sendek had a great record uh, in recent years against Arizona, um, which is kind of a weird place to make that lighthearted joke when you're introducing the coach that's replacing the guy that had that success. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it is interesting to think about it in that context that you want to keep everything uh, – you want to keep the car, you just want to kick the driver out. Uh, but I think ultimately, I th- Ray Anderson has been through his rationale and his reasoning for the firing um, of Todd Graham in detail. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to the one-on-one that he had with with Brad Denny as, as part of the, the sit-down series, um, make sure you're subscribed to Speak of the Devil's uh, podcast, by the way. They're, they've been absolutely fantastic. But if you're not subscribed, you haven't listened to that yet, You know, definitely go and, and, and take a listen to Ray Anderson talk a little bit about some of his rationale for the hiring of Herm Edwards. Don't take it too personally if you didn't like the hiring of Herm Edwards. Um, You know, when Ray Anderson makes comments about, you know, the people who didn't like the hire being um, ignorant, um, I think that he's referring to a very specific set of comments that were made about the Herm Edwards hire uh, or just any hire in general needing to be a minority or something like that. I don't think that he was actually referencing, you know, everybody who thought the Herm Edwards hire was bad was ignorant. And if he was, that was definitely a mistake. Uh, but it's definitely a worthwhile interview to just get some more insight into why the change, um, into why that change was made. Uh, Bill Connolly talks about, you know, needing um, Nikhil Harry and Kyle Williams uh, to, to probably have um, some big seasons, uh, but he, he gets into Manny Wilkins and this is, this is the purpose of me bringing this up because I want to talk about Manny Wilkins as well. Uh, this article talking about Manny Wilkins, you know, he threw for 3,300 yards around that last year, um, which, you know, was, was, was pretty good for a team that, that was split evenly, uh, amongst the run and pass. He didn't turn the ball over, um, very much. Uh, you know, he took a few sacks, but there were issues with the offensive line and its youth, obviously. Um, but, you know, this is an article that's fairly complimentary of Manny Wilkins. And the whole point of me bringing up this article is to bring up the fact that Manny Wilkins is a, he's a really interesting guy. He's a really interesting character and he's a really interesting quarterback um, heading into the 2018 season in that, I mean, the most interesting thing to me about Manny Wilkins is that nobody really seems to be that interested in Manny Wilkins. Nobody really seems to be that interested in Manny Wilkins. And let me, let me jump into that a little bit further. Manny Wilkins is a two year returning starter in the PAC 12 who by all accounts and by all measurables is coming in as probably one of the better returning quarterbacks 
in the Power Five. Now, there may be some mixed feelings amongst ASU fans and just college football fans in general uh, as far as calling him one of the better returning quarterbacks, but that's the cycle of quarterbacks. It's not often that you have somebody returning for their third year of starting who has had relative success throwing the ball, has limited turnovers, has managed to score you know, with their feet, uh, and has gotten a couple of big wins, you know, at Utah this last year at home against Washington. Um, you know, so here's the deal. I think Manny Wilkins is really the kind of guy that, that thrives as are most football players, uh, thrives on extrinsic motivation. You have a lot of guys out there that are internally motivated. You know, your your people like, you know, Christian Kirk, who was training for the NFL at age 13 and knew what he wanted to eat for breakfast and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Most, most people need some type of external, extrinsic motivation, something to come from the outside to light a fire under them. Um, and sometimes if you're not getting that, you need to turn around and, and, and create it for yourself. And one of the most interesting things to me about Manny Wilkins this offseason is, you know, I see a lot of his posts on social media, whether it be Twitter, whether it be Instagram, you know, and it seems as though Manny Wilkins is attempting to, to manufacture a little bit of, of that doubt, of that uh, extrinsic motivation for himself. Uh, now, you know, there might, there might be people that doubt Manny Wilkins out loud, um, that are out there, uh, that, that have some sort of clout in the local or national media and do it in a way that is very public. That's not something that I've seen. Um, the, the thing that I've honestly seen, uh, and the thing that is definitely not good for somebody who wants to be, um, you know, extrinsically motivated or, or be, have sort of a back, uh, us against the world or, or, um, you know, need to have their back against the wall type mentality, um, is to not be thought about at all, to not be thought about at all. That's, that's worse than being dissed. That's worse than, you know, than that, you know, than being able to be caught up in the praise and have the pressure of having to meet expectations. There's nothing worse than, than somebody who needs some sort of external motivation, um, to just not be talked about. And I feel like, um, that in itself, you can turn that around. You can turn not being talked about around into its own form of extrinsic motivation, right? What, what do kids say? Uh, when people aren't talking about them, they say that they're slept on and then they turn around and, and take being slept on as an insult. And they use that for motivation. So most football players, and I, I, I would count based on some of the things that I've seen, um, on, on social media, uh, of things that, uh, of things that Manny Wilkins has posted, um, that, you know, while he probably most football players that are successful are, is in part intrinsically motivated. You know, he has the habits, um, he goes to practice, he does everything that he needs to do to be good, whether it eat right, weight room, practice reps, throwing with people, all of those things. I think, you know, he absolutely does those things. But a lot of football players, especially in this day and age, because we're all so connected, because everybody hears the hate. I mean, you look at guys like Mike Bercovici. I mean, that guy used to get roasted on Twitter. Um, you know, we're able to hear so many things that are going on that, you know, five people hating you sounds like a hundred people hating you. Um, 
you know, because they have instant access to you and everything like that. And I think, you know, my, this is my theory and I could be way, way off base, but you know, I had an interaction with, with Manny Wilkins recently where I was going through every single quarterback that had either turned down Arizona state outright uh, from the state of Arizona that they had offered and they had turned Arizona state down and gone elsewhere or quarterbacks that had transferred away from Arizona state um, or quarterbacks that Arizona state had in state, they didn't offer. And those quarterbacks went on to be, you know, successful elsewhere or, or land at some type of big time school. And, you know, I was, uh, I was just thinking about that and I fired off, a, I fired off a tweet. And in that tweet, it said, uh, compared to AZ quarterbacks, ASU didn't offer quarterbacks who transferred from ASU and Arizona quarterbacks that picked another school over ASU, Manny Wilkins might still have the best 2018. So I was thinking of it in context of all of these quarterbacks, Ryan Finley at North Carolina State, who's received a first round grade from certain prognosticators, Brock Purdy, who was at Perry High, didn't get an offer from ASU and chose Iowa State over Alabama, Uh, Jack Plummer, who was at Gilbert and showed a lot of the same characteristics as Tyler Shuck, who was at Hamilton and chose Oregon over uh, ASU, Jack Plummer went to uh, Purdue and didn't get an ASU offer, Mason Moran, who won, uh, I think, a title um, at Chandler High as a safe came up just short as a quarterback went to went to Oregon State as a quarterback and is competing for a starting job out there uh, Chase Cord who's competing for time at Boise State and didn't get an offer from ASU Bryce Perkins who left ASU for Virginia via Arizona Western Brady White who left ASU for Memphis Blake Barnett who left left ASU uh, for University of South Florida uh, Colton Gerhart who plays some quarterback at New Mexico Brian Lewerke who chose Michigan State over Arizona Jamari Joyner who chose Arizona over ASU even though Jamari Joyner had already signed with Arizona and didn't technically have a choice to make. Um, you know, I, I had said of all those quarterbacks, and there's a lot of talented names on that list, I think Manny Wilkins might still have the best 2018. I think he's the most set up for success. Now, I followed that tweet up with a two-word tweet that caught Manny Wilkins' attention. It just said, Big Might. Because I'll be honest, I just watched Manny Wilkins play on the same field as Ryan Finley, a local Arizona product who is now at North Carolina State via Boise State, and Ryan Finley had a pretty good showing against Arizona State. Not only that, he had the same interceptionless streak uh, that was making news that that Manny Wilkins had last year. Um, You know, Ryan Finley is a pretty good quarterback. And, and Manny Wilkins is going to have to go head-to-head with uh, with Brian Lewerke this year at Michigan State, uh, who is going into his second year as a starter, his third year getting starts. And I think that, uh, I think that if you're being intellectually honest, that Ryan Finley, who was 24 of 29 for 318 yards against ASU last year in their bowl game in El Paso, you know, uh, going head to head with Manny Wilkins, who had 352 yards, three touchdowns, but three interceptions, you know, you could look at that game and say, "Hey, I watched these two quarterbacks go head to head. One of them performed more consistently and better than the other one." It would be logical to say that it is possible that this person who has been mentioned as potentially being picked in the first round of the draft next year could maybe be better than Manny Wilkins when he's already bested Manny Wilkins on the field that Manny Wilkins shared. I don't think that that's illogical at all. 
At the same time, I think Manny Wilkins is set up for a really good year. He might have a better year than Ryan Finley. But I did qualify the tweet. I said, big might. Big might. And I immediately got a response from Manny Wilkins. He said, laugh out loud. And then, you know, he he, he posted another tweet. Um, and uh, and I said to him, you know, I basically like I have to I have to show Ryan Finley some love. He's getting that national media uh, first round grade. And Manny Wilkins told me just to keep that energy. And I think that what he means by keep that energy is keep hating, keep doubting him. When I wasn't really doubting him at all. I was saying that he very may well be better than every single one of those quarterbacks that I listed. I was actually giving him the benefit of the doubt. It absolutely might not happen. It wouldn't be fair for me to say that it absolutely will. You know, I'm, I'm a media member. I'm not, I'm not out there uh, to, to be a fan or to blow smoke or, you know, to falsely put anybody on a pedestal. I was just really considering the possibilities at quarterback. And I think that Manny Wilkins is set up really well for success. He might not necessarily have a better year than a guy who already played better than him on the same field in the very last game that they were both on the field, a guy who's getting a first-round grade. He might not necessarily play better than a three-year starter at Michigan State who he's going to have to face head-to-head at Sun Devil Stadium this upcoming year. But he might. And I think giving him the benefit of the doubt that he might, even though nobody's really talking about it. Every article I see that mentions Manny Wilkins is like, hey, you'll never believe, you know, this guy's coming back and he had some great numbers. You'll never believe it. You know, like no one's been paying attention to Arizona State. Like Arizona State doesn't matter. You know, it's just a pleasant surprise. Like, oh, I guess Manny Wilkins is good. You know, when people look into it, that shows you the people aren't paying attention. Well, I do pay attention. It is my job. And I feel like in that tweet, I was giving Manny Wilkins the, the, the benefit of the doubt. But if he's in a situation where he's looking for things to come off as more of an insult or more doubt or more spiteful, and he needs that as motivation to then turn around and be more successful for Arizona State moving forward, uh, then so be it. But I think the most dangerous thing to Manny Wilkins right now is not necessarily that anybody's showering him with praise and not necessarily that there's anybody out there saying that he's going to be bad or do a bad job. It's that as far as Arizona State goes right now, no one seems to care. And that could ultimately end up being a problem. So let's get into recruiting a little bit. And I know I know that if you follow Arizona State, if you're a member of DevilsDigest.com, and you should be a member of DevilsDigest.com, um, you know, I know that if you are a follower of Arizona State recruiting, you might really feel like it's a it's a super dry season. Um, you know, there, there's probably about 30 kids committed to Pac-12 schools right now. Publicly, verbally, none of those kids are committed to Arizona State. Um, historically, I don't feel like this is really anything that anybody should be scared by. Uh, Todd Graham's first verbals that stuck came in, I think, June of 2012 uh, or 2011, whatever season he came in, um, they got a little bit of a late uh, start to his second 
recruiting cycle, which would have been his first full recruiting cycle, uh, he was able to pull off some stuff the same way that Herm Edwards was able to pull off some stuff when he first came in to replace Dennis Erickson. Obviously, having Antonio Pierce on board really helped Herm Edwards uh, land a lot of great players to wrap up the the class of 2018. A lot of those kids are just now graduating high school and and getting ready to head into uh, Arizona State to do the summer conditioning program and everything like that. So, um, I don't necessarily think that this is ahistorical. I don't necessarily think that it's anything to panic about. I mean, if you are strictly going by the verbiage of what Ray Anderson expects of of Herm Edwards, and that is sort of the governing principle in how you view whether recruiting is successful or not, uh, then it can possibly be a little bit nerve-wracking that Arizona State not only doesn't have any commits, but a lot of the four- and five-star guys are already uh, committing elsewhere. Um, and a lot of those guys aren't <laughs> committing to the Pac-12 at all. Uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a down year. Um, it's a down year in a lot of places, um, a quarterback especially, uh, as far as the overall depth of of the position, um, as far as known recruits, guys that we knew as sophomores were going to be really, really high-level recruits, there hasn't been that same level that there's been in years past. There could be some guys that break out as seniors that Arizona State is fo- focusing on uh, and that other colleges are focusing on. Um, but as far as known commodities, uh, this hasn't really been a super great or super deep year, and a lot of the guys that were known commodities are already committing elsewhere. And so you can see how that would maybe make some people a little bit bit nervous for what's going on at ASU recruiting wise. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about the number of kids that are committed to Arizona State right now as much as I'm trying to get a feel for what it is Arizona State is doing recruiting wise. We've had comments um, we've had comments from people on the staff uh, speaking a little bit into the recruiting strategy, which is essentially Arizona, California, Nevada, a little bit Texas, a little bit Louisiana, based on the connections that the current coaches have. Um, but for the most part, the emphasis is Arizona, um, California, and Nevada, and that essentially those um, places are going to be where the coaches go out, see a player, And then it's really up to everybody to be on the same page as far as whether that person can play at the next level or not uh, for that to be a committable offer. It's a really interesting strategy as far as recruiting, and we'll see how it goes, and we'll see if they even stick to it. Uh, Because honestly, if I'm Arizona State and I send Antonio Pierce or John Simon out to California, and they know what a kid looks like, and they know that he has the right grades, and they know that he has the right constitution, and if he sees them on the spot right there, and it's his first time ever hearing of him, I'm going to want Antonio Pierce or John Simon to have the autonomy to just go ahead and extend an offer to that kid right then and there. You know? Uh, and then if it's a borderline type thing, maybe bring that back for discussion. But as far as having to be on the same page with every single recruit every single time, you know, it's it's something that is uh, is interesting to me. I don't know if it's something that they're sticking to, if it's something that they will stick to, uh, especially considering how quarterback recruiting has gone. Because so far, you've seen Arizona State offer several quarterbacks in pursuit of the right guy. You had Ryan Halinski, who ultimately committed to South Carolina, Jacob Conover, who ultimately committed to to 
Brigham Young, and in the meantime, they offered a bunch of guys who were already committed to other colleges elsewhere. Uh, and a lot of these guys were very different stylistically. I think their one overarching theme of some of the guys uh, that they offered was that they were very, um, very good pocket passers, but it wasn't limited to just very good pocket passers. Um, there's a Jaden Daniels who threw for 5,000 yards and rushed for over 1,000 out at Cajon High School, that's a guy that's probably going to end up at UCLA, who's a really highly coveted player. Um, you know, you have some dual threat guys like Michael Johnson Jr. out of Oregon, who is going to be a four-year high school starter, is going to have a lot of experience, and is looking really, really closely at potentially committing to a school like Miami and, and leaving Oregon for, you know, uh, for the the farthest away possible school that he can. Um you know, you have you have other guys out there like Peter Parrish out in I think Alabama who who is uh, more of maybe an athlete necessarily than than a than a passer. You know, they've seemed to be all over the board with some of the guys that they've been offering. One of the guys I really like who's still uncommitted, uh, and and it it's going to be tough to to get him uh, out of Texas is Maverick McIver, uh, who is somebody that they offered recently. He's more of an air raid guy who who runs a really complex four and five receiver set out in high school out in Texas, and he could fit in really, really well uh, for ASU. Um, but, you know, there's schools like Texas Tech that are right nearby that, that could take his talents and translate them really, really well at the next level. You're seeing these quarterbacks commit to every school, and, 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 and it seems like Arizona State is not uh, one of them, and I'm, what I'm trying to do is trying to find some type of common theme as to what Arizona State is looking for in a quarterback. Um, and right now it just looks like they're kind of chasing the best available guy, and when that guy goes away, they jump on the next one. Um, which brings me to the local quarterbacks. The state of Arizona has quite a few talented guys that aren't Spencer Rattler, that aren't Jacob Conover, uh, that Arizona State has seemed to um, kind of not not overlook, but look past. I mean, there's Keaton Slovis, who uh, as of late March didn't have an offer. And here we are in mid-May, and he's committed to USC. You know, he blew up, and he's somebody that Donnie Yantis went out to see twice. Um, you know, he's somebody that I have been to multiple games of his. He's a pretty good passer. Um, you know, I, I worry about his elusivity when it comes to actually playing high-level competition. I think he's got good pocket presence, but, you know, he played, I think, against one FBS-level defensive lineman his entire junior year. One in Braylon Trice at O'Connor. And he, you know, he had a pretty good game. He he hit his running back for 11 passes and was hurried pretty much every time um, he was in the pocket. I, you know, I thought he he did well, but he didn't really play against very, very good competition. And I didn't see him doing very well when he was pressured. But he has just an awesome arm, um, especially in practice, especially in seven-on-seven seven, uh, sessions, a rhythm guy. Um, you know, he, he looks really, really good. And every college coach that went out to see him ultimately kind of ended up offering. ASU went out to to see him twice and and didn't get the go-ahead to go ahead and extend that offer. And then you have another Arizona guy that leaves Arizona without an ASU offer heading to be the quarterback at USC. And the casual fan might say, well, if he's good enough for USC, the school that produced Matt Leinart, Carson Palmer, Mark Sanchez, um, you know, John David Booty, all guys who played in the NFL, um, you know, who had the, the, they were in possession of the number three overall pick who went to the Jets this last season. If he's good enough to go back up JT Daniels at USC, 
why isn't he good enough for Arizona State? And I think that those are, you know, those are interesting and valid questions, especially when Arizona State has sort of just offered the next available quarterback every time one commits elsewhere. You know, there's other guys like Spencer Brash out at Higley High School, very good with his legs and and, and emerged uh, as a as a um, great quarterback last year. Good frame, six foot four, has a lot of zip on the ball. Is the kind of quarterback that uh, Noel Mazzoni at Arizona would probably work wonders with, and um, you know he's probably going to head out of state. I, I see him maybe going to Cal without receiving an Arizona State offer at all, and he's currently sitting at about 14 or 15 offers as well. You know, you've got a guy like Devin Larson out at Queen Creek who's six foot five and can make all the throws and, you know, might not be the most athletic guy in the world, but, you know, he's a guy that once Brash commits and now that Slovis commits, he's going to start getting a bunch of offers. You know, and you wonder if Arizona State's missing an opportunity to bring somebody in, but at the same time, if you're an Arizona State fan, you want the best guy for the job no matter what. It's hard to tell who the best guy for the job is when you have Pac-12 teams in your state offering players that you don't offer. Uh, is it that Arizona State thinks of themselves as above some of these other schools like Cal or, you know, or is it that Arizona State's assessments of quarterbacks, despite not necessarily having really a true quarterback coach on staff, you know, they do have Al Luganville on staff, who's very good at uh, evaluating players. But, you know, Rob Likens was a receivers coach and an offensive coordinator um, at Kansas. You know, Charlie Fisher is a former head coach, wide receiver coach at, at other levels. They don't have necessarily have a true quarterback developer or whisperer, you know, the guy that um, that they ultimately uh, had, you know, Chip Lindsey was the one guy, I think, that really, um, that Todd Graham lauded as, as being a developer of quarterbacks. You know, they haven't really had anybody else outside of that um, you know, be dedicated to to developing quarterbacks. So when you see the way that they're offering all these different kids that have all of these different specialties, you know, and you see that other guys come into Arizona and those quarterbacks in Arizona are good enough for them, but not necessarily for ASU. I think it, I think it causes you to ask some questions as far as, you know, what is Arizona State up to? Who could they go and get? They need a quarterback. I mean, they've said as much to the guys that they're recruiting that whoever comes in as a true freshman is going to compete with Dylan Serling Cole and Ryan Kelly for the starting job next year. Whoever it is is going to be able to come in as a freshman and compete. For most quarterbacks in the country, that's all they're looking for is a chance to compete for the starting job right away at a Power 5 school. So you would figure that 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 would possibly make Arizona State a very attractive option. You know, maybe for a guy like Keaton Slovis at at Desert Mountain who's going to go sit behind JT Daniels for at least three years while USC turns around and recruits the best quarterbacks in the nation year in, year out to go and take that backup job away from him. Uh, you have Arizona State where if they had ultimately offered him, he could go in and compete with Ryan Kelly and compete with, with Dylan Sterling Cole and potentially start as a true freshman. It's an interesting opportunity at Arizona State. And it's also interesting that guys like Blake Barnett, who could have been the far and away clear-cut starter next year, uh, realize that whoever's going to come in uh, was going to be able to compete for the starting job right away. And he left for South Florida. You know, there were whispers that Dylan Sterling Cole might, you know, earlier in last year that he might not necessarily stick around. And now he's pretty much the guy if something happens to Manny Wilkins with Ryan Kelly, you know, recovering from 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 labrum surgery. So a uh, really interesting situation at quarterback, really interesting situation as far as how they're evaluating quarterback and how they're recruiting. Um, as far as recruiting the other positions, you know, for ArizonaVarsity.com, I put together essentially what my uh, dream class 
would look like. Um, I, I highlighted some players at, at every you know position that I feel like would be realistic for Arizona State to potentially land. Um, and, you know, there, there's not a lot of four stars on this list uh, because I don't necessarily think that that's what the quarterback position is going to or that's what the, the overall recruiting class is going to look like for ASU, if I'm just being realistic. Um, sure, that might not necessarily be what Ray Anderson wants or said that he wants in year one, but I'm, I'm just trying to be realistic. And so, you know, some of these players, they probably only need one running back with two guys on the roster and four new ones coming in. Uh, for the start of for the start of fall camp, there's guys like Jordan Wilmore, a three star out of Lawndale, who's five nine, two hundred pounds. Reminds me a lot of uh, you know of the the guy that just carried the load for them the last the last four years, Demario Richard. You know, I think he's somebody that that might come in and and be able to do some good. Um, you know, at wide receiver, they don't need a ton of help. They did just move Jalen Harvey over, and they are going to lose a couple of guys to both graduation and the NFL draft this upcoming year. And there's guys like uh, Keon Markham at Long Beach Poly, and I know that ASU can only dip into the Long Beach Poly uh, pool so much before, you know, before eventually they're going to have to move to other sources of, of getting players. But if that connection with, with Antonio Pierce is really that strong, then, you know, y- you got to you gotta essentially go for it. The nice thing for Arizona State is they didn't hire Antonio Pierce to be a quality control guy. They hired him to be a position coach. And when you hire somebody out of high school to be a position coach, you can go and recruit their players right away. If you try to bring somebody on staff in a peripheral role like a quality control analyst, you're barred from recruiting at that high school for two years. So Arizona State bringing Antonio uh, Antonio Pierce on to, to be in the role that he's in allows them to really mine Long Beach Poly for talent, and there's a couple of twins out there, uh, Keon and Kiwan Markham, um, that that can play offense or defense, just fantastic athletes that I think should really uh, be guys that Arizona State considers. Um, you know, there's a couple of local guys that, you know, like Kaheem Walid, uh, where they were like the 15th team to offer him. And so, you know, they're already kind of behind the eight ball for that guy at Castile High School, and they might not land him because of that. And then you have tight end, a huge position of need for Arizona State. They at least need to get one guy who's going to come in and compete right away. And, uh, you know, losing Braden Librock to Texas right after he took an official visit to Arizona State and took one to Texas right after and ultimately committed to Texas, that was tough. Tough for Arizona State to lose the best in-state tight end and prospect, especially a guy they did offer first, uh, who ultimately ended up with 25-some-odd offers and picks Texas over ASU. Um, There's some guys in California. Four-star Ethan Ray uh, is somebody who uh, Arizona State can try to bring in. Um, You know, there's there's a few other developmental guys out there that that might be of some value or of some worth. Uh, But, you know, they want somebody who has the prototypical NFL body. They don't want a six-foot-three tweener at tight end. Uh, Herm Edwards has said he wants guys that look like they can play in the NFL. ASU is moving more to the prototypical get the big piece of clay and whittle it down than they are get the overperforming high school prospect type model. Just bring in big boys and coach them up. So while there are some talented tight ends out there like Hayden Hatton of Saguaro who, you know, has good hands, um, 
Rafael Aldecoa out at Queen Creek, uh, guys that don't necessarily have those offers yet because they're 6'3 and not 6'4, Arizona State's probably not going to consider them. So they're going to need to battle for some of these guys that are out there in California and places like that. Offensive tackle is very important for Arizona State as they've essentially either gotten transfers or converted guards to offensive tackle for the last few years and are still sort of reeling from, you know, the years <laughs> when they when they had a, a, an offensive line coach here that couldn't necessarily close the deal on a lot of very talented prospects. And there are some very talented prospects that are available right now. Uh, in my article, I, I highlighted Ty Robinson out at Higley who is a top five prospect in the state. Arizona State's kind of in danger of going two straight years without landing a top 10 prospect in the state of Arizona because Ty Robinson has family in Nebraska, and I think he might be leaning that way as well. And he also got a Stanford offer, and they don't offer very many kids. They usually only offer the kids they think they have a shot at. So, I mean, there's prospects out of Hawaii. There's prospects out of Texas. Uh, they just offered a guy out of, out of uh, Perry, uh, right after Oregon offered him, but you know they had established a, a relationship with him over time. They're going to have to battle Cal, and you know his dad played at UCLA. And if if Braden Rame gets that UCLA offer, then you know they might have to battle that legacy as well. It's going to be tough for them to get a guy who's six foot five and above with a good frame that can block edge rushers. It's tough every year. Um, offensive guard, they don't necessarily have a need right now, um, and there's not really anybody in state who I think is worthy of going after, but there's some guys out there. Uh, uh, you know, They're trying really, really hard to get a pipeline into Hawaii right now. They've offered more people in the class of 2019 than they did in the previous four recruiting classes combined. So you know that Shane Nua, defensive line coach, is really trying to establish that poly connection and get some kids uh, out of the islands, and there's a guy named Lukahi Paole um, who is uh, at... Kamehameha High School in Kapolei, um, six foot four, three hundred twenty pounds, and he's somebody with an ASU offer. That uh, if they could pull him, at least you know they could say that they got a prospect out of Hawaii. And it's been a very long time since they've had a scholarship prospect out of Hawaii. Uh, and that that could be a nice build for them. You know, defensive tackle. Um, Duke Clemens, another guy out of Hawaii who's absolutely blowing up right now. Um, there's uh, Matthew Polamau locally, who um, a lot of people think might follow in his brother's footsteps out to USC. Um, but one of the reasons that his brother chose USC over ASU, even though ASU did a very good job recruiting him, was that the coaching staff wasn't necessarily to their liking. Now you have a new coaching staff for the most part. Will Matthew Polamau consider possibly playing for Shane Nua and, and Herm Edwards at Arizona State? We'll see. Um, you know, defensive ends, there's so many good ones all over Arizona, all over Nevada, all over California. There's a guy, Alonzo Hall, who I absolutely love as a developmental project. He's six foot five, two ten right now, and he's just Arizona State was his first power five offer. I think they're still probably only his power five only power five offer, but he's about to get a bunch more, I guarantee that. Tyler Garay Harris out of Oakland, David Heckard out of Faith Lutheran in Nevada. Um Trevin May out of Bishop Gorman in Nevada, Braylon Trice out of O'Connor in Arizona. Any of those guys would be fantastic for the defensive line. Currently, none of them are committed anywhere. And so that's somebody, you know, Arizona State could really salvage their recruiting class by putting together uh, a solid defensive group because that's what they really need. Um, there are guys out there at linebacker like Connor Soley, who has a family connection to Arizona State, Mickey Ayu, who has a family connection to Arizona State, who could be an anchor for this Arizona State class if they're able to get 
get verbals from them. Um, you know, uh, there's guys like Jalen Williams here locally who has a bunch of Pac-12 offers um, out of Shadow Mountain, who's a multiple sports star who can play either wide receiver or linebacker who could really give Arizona State a boost if they chose to offer him. Cornerback's obviously going to be important because I think if Chase Lucas has a big year, I mean a really big year, uh, one that gets him some all Pac-12 uh, notoriety, you could see him go. A uh, guy they really wanted in Jay Cordell just committed to Oregon. Uh, you have Javen Wright, whose dad played in Nebraska out of Hamilton, and he's probably the biggest um, framed cornerback. I mean, he's the guy that Herm Edwards would really want to come in. ASU did offer him um, after a couple of other Pac-12 schools. The ASU did get an offer into him, but Nebraska offered as well, so it's going to be tough to, to, to get him away. Uh, and then you have guys that, uh, that you know, Tony White specials. Um, you know, Tony White's coaching the defensive backs out at Arizona State. He's came from San Diego State. He's familiar with California. You have guys like Shamar Martin and Mark Perry who have offers who I think would be fantastic uh, additions to, to Arizona State if they could get them. But where Arizona State really needs to make a splash, in my mind, uh, is at the safety position because that's where some of the absolute best players that they're recruiting, uh, in my opinion, some of the underrated players that they're recruiting exist. Uh, Ty DeArmond, who Hode Rubino interviewed for Devil's Digest out of out of Arlington, Texas, fantastic player. Kiwan Markham, who I who I mentioned earlier out of Long Beach Poly, fantastic player. Brock Jones, who might go to college for baseball or might go to the pros for baseball out of uh, Fresno, California, is a great player. Noah Pola Gates. The fastest guy in Arizona um, outside of Jake Smith is at Gilbert Williams Field, and, and he could be a great free safety uh, type prospect for Arizona State if they can wrestle him away from some of the other schools that are, that are making a big push for him. You know, and you even have specialists. Uh, Austin McNamara, probably one of the best punters to come through Arizona uh, in a really, really long time out of Highland High School is a guy that that Arizona State could could really afford to make a play for. So, you know, those are some guys that I think are, are within the grasp for Arizona State at every single position. They still have the ability to pull together a really impressive recruiting class, um, the whole thing is they haven't necessarily done it yet. But I will say it's not as dire as it seems. If you pay attention to some of these tweets uh, from coaches at Arizona State, like Antonio Pierce, uh, like recruiting assistant Fred Gamage, you know, you'll see uh, them posting uh, emojis of like, um, you know, the, the sh motion or a zipper over a mouth and some, some feet. There are some guys right now who are leaning toward Arizona State. Uh, they're just doing so behind the scenes for whatever reason. And so, you know, that's something that uh, could ultimately end up working out in Arizona State's favor. If you remember on signing day last year, guys like Jordan Porter, guys like the Long Beach Bali kids, they essentially made their commitments to Arizona State known on signing day, but had already told Arizona State they were going to commit. And them not making their commitments known before might have added some anxiety to um, to ASU fans, but ultimately Arizona State viewed it as giving them somewhat of an advantage in that um, other teams not knowing that they had already committed meant that maybe they wouldn't uh, pursue them as hard. Now, it sounds weird that somebody would pursue somebody who's uh, committed harder than they would pursue somebody who's uncommitted, but you'd be surprised because if somebody's uncommitted and they say they're deciding between three or four schools, if you're not one of those three or four schools, ultimately you assume that you've been eliminated. 
If somebody's committed to another school and they're willing to take your phone call, they'd be willing to possibly take anybody's phone call. So, I mean, there's a million different weird strategies and, and things that go into recruiting that, that are hard to understand and hard to explain. Um, you know, it could ultimately just be part of the culture of recruiting right now that these kids want to wait to announce at a table with a bunch of hats on it on early signing day. That's very possible as well. The possibility also exists that by being committed to Arizona State, but behind closed doors, they're not actually committed at all. And one could argue that unless you're signed, you are not committed. Um, but I will say it's not as dire of a situation as that big goose egg up on the board looks. It's not as bad as it looks. And I don't necessarily think that with guys like Antonio Pierce and John Simon on staff and relationship builders like Rob Likens on staff that you are going to see a class that is in the bottom third of the Pac-12. I think it's important for Arizona State to try to be in the top half, but I think it's virtually impossible for them to fall into that bottom third. And if they do, we'll have another conversation about what Arizona State needs to do to, to get things right. To round out the football portion of the Devil's Junkie podcast, I want to bring in Antonio Longino. Fascinating story. Shaw High School uh, went on to play Juco football in Kansas, came to Arizona State, uh, was a great athlete, I think probably overperformed, was gritty, uh, played multiple positions, really ultimately bought into what Todd Graham was doing, changed his life around. Um, you know, established a community of, of Sun Devils that often come back around Arizona State. Uh, and as an undrafted free agent, went to the Cincinnati Bengals. And what ultimately ended up happening is he was, believe it or not, he was arrested for murder in Cleveland Heights. And, uh, you know, a situation where he didn't do anything wrong but had to go through the legal process uh, scared the Bengals away and put him in a situation where things could have really fallen apart for him, as they do for a lot of people who come out of East Cleveland. But he didn't let that happen. He got together with his brother, and they put together a book, Fourth and Trenches, uh, based on the life of Antonio Longino. And he's trying to use this to make a positive impact, not only for the kids in his community uh, of East Cleveland, but for football players all over the country. And uh, I'm absolutely psyched to have him on the program. This is that interview. And uh, this is a guest I'm really excited about having on the Devil's Junkie podcast uh, through devilsdigest.com, Antonio Longino, uh, who had a great career at Arizona State University, uh, has some pretty exciting things coming up as well. Uh, really, really excited to talk to him about his time at ASU after, as well as uh, this book that he's got coming out in a few weeks. So thank you so much for being on the show, Antonio. You're welcome, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So just tell me, I mean, you're, you're out of it now. You've been out of it for a while. Um, we, you know, we, we've, we've heard things about, you know, people who go through the program under Todd Graham coming out the other side, being, you know, ready, uh, to take on the challenges of, you know, the, that the world has to offer. You, you went through that program. You went, you were under Todd Graham. You were under those assistants. Um, just tell me a little bit about your time at ASU and, and how it kind of transformed you as a football player and a person. Uh, being at ASU, it was it was 
probably one of the best decisions I made. It, it was it was fun. It was it was just you know it builds you it builds your character and it just it builds you as a person to take on challenges you know outside of life. Uh, so I, I feel like ASU was a definitely great experience for me uh, under Ty's round and just. I mean, people can say that, you know what I'm saying, I could have, I could have, I feel like I could have did better if I would have, uh, I could have even more better at ASU, uh, if I would have just, uh, got it quicker, but, you know, as, but that's what coaching, I mean, that's what Coach Brown do at Arizona State, you know, he does, I mean, he builds you, you know, he helps you, he helps you. You know what I'm saying? Become a better man. Not even coach, man. Was coaches like Coach Randolph, you know, Coach Peterson. Like, they helped me, uh, you know, become a man, just not about football. So I enjoyed my time at ASU. So tell me a little bit about, because, you know, you, you played high school football out in Ohio, didn't have a lot of eyes on you. You end up at the JUCO level. Take me back to when you ultimately decided on ASU. Who was it between, and and why did you ultimately choose to be a Sun Devil? Well, yeah, uh, I chose to be a. Well, it was a funny story on that because I was, uh, I actually was uh, just, com- I was actually just committing to uh, to schools because I was in Kansas for so long, and and I was just. And like it was like every visit I went on, I was like I was just committed. You just wanted <laughs> to be. You just wanted to be out of Kansas. <laughs> yes, it was like every visit I went on, I was committed. Like I committed to Arkansas, Texas A and M. Like I was just committed. And but this was my like last visit, and I and it was fun here too. And I'm like oh, I commit. Like I was just committing to schools, and then I had like a visit uh, for Auburn, but I. Uh, but it was like you already committed here, so they just stopped it. So I, that was it. So I'm just like, yeah, I was just committing. So it wasn't really no, <laughs> it wasn't really no, <laughs> really reason. It was just I wasn't having fun on every visit. As you was the stopping point. That's hilarious. You would if you would have had ten more yeah. visits, you would have had ten more commits. Yeah, ten more commits exactly. So I mean, uh, on your time at ASU. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that comes back to me the most is obviously you stepping into a game where you were told you probably shouldn't play uh, and, and having a really big impact. When you think back on your time at ASU, what are some of the moments that stand out to you? Uh, going out there with your brothers, you know, you're just preparing. You're just, you know, you're just talking for the game. You got, you know, your little brothers like like DJ, you know, Jalen. Everybody just, you know, everybody just, looking like, you know, pumping you up, y'all in each other's face, like you ready, like going out there with confidence, just having fun on the field, like I can say we were just like me, uh, Marcus Harrison, Taylor Strong, uh, Jump Hayes, we all, we all were just talking about this, how like, how you, uh, Notre Dame was just the most fun, like just going out there and pounding them, like that was just that probably been the fun of the game in USC. Like we just like just being with your brothers, you know what I'm saying? Just building that strong connection with your brothers and just having fun, like flying around, 
talking stuff in the game, kicking each other up, and just running through some faces. Like that's that was always exciting. ASU. Now, Period. you, you, um, you went out there and you, I mean, you had some really talented guys that you lined up with. Um, who, who are some of those players that you just, you, you miss being out there alongside you? I mean, you, you're almost a fan of watching them perform as much as you are, you know, a teammate. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, Jalen Strong, that's my guy. Uh, Marcus Hardison. You know, Demetrius Cherry, uh, Jordan Simone, that, that's my Tasmanian devil. Uh, DJ Foster, Jump uh, Hayes, you know, just, it was, it was, we had our little, our little unit. Even, like, it was just, like the whole team, man, but like, most of the guys I named, like, even in Chris Young, that was like a big impact. Is that what it takes for a team to be successful? Just sort of like lucking out with the chemistry of the guys you recruit from all over the country, having them all be able to 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 get along. I mean, because that I mean that level of chemistry obviously contributed to your success. But how how do you bring that back to a team like ASU, that brotherhood? Nah, what like like stuff like Camp T, you know, Camp T that really brings everybody together. You know, have us trapped out in the woods playing football in cabins, uh, playing cards. Uh, we, we got flags and go beating each other up, guard houses, like flipping people, putting people beds on the roofs, like beating each other up, just having fun, you know, just getting to know everybody, like filling everybody out, bringing everybody out that shell. Like, can't see very important. Like, that was just, that'd be a fun time up there, having everybody jump you. You beat up everybody, y'all just up there just being brothers, you know? And that is, and that, that always, Camp T always brought out that one shot kid who never wanted to talk. And it just, you know, him having fun, like, bringing them out. He just, I think Camp T really was like a big, big thing, you know, getting everybody to open up to each other and then bringing out chemistry. That and, you know, your roommates and just everybody getting together. Outside, like you learn new people, and you learn to be around new people and just have fun. Yeah, so that definitely is key. So, I mean, you've been around this new, this new. I mean, obviously they got some old assistant coaches uh, from the Todd Graham era, but you know, I was out there at the at the spring scrimmage. You were out there on the sideline. What's your impression of the vibe? It's good. I talked to uh, Nikhil Harry. I just told him like. Uh, he got to bring. I, I feel like they close. They could be closer, you know. He agreed with me. He was just, I'm like, yeah, you got to, you know what I'm saying, you got a big brother them. You got to show them love, you know. You got to get on them. Like, I, I feel like, I, I feel like they having more fun. I feel like they having a lot more fun. Like, to me, I feel like they ain't, it ain't no, it ain't strict. You know, it's just like, let's have fun. Let's play football. Which is, that's how football is, but to me, like, 
I was the type like I need I wanna go all out work like I want I need I want you to be on me, you know? Like yeah. I ain't you would you would laugh you would laugh before practice and after practice, but during practice it was business yeah. time. Yeah, I'm like a, I want everybody to I want them to be tough. I want them to be yelling like okay and like you know. But it, I mean I think it's gonna be good. I think everybody looks like they having fun out there. You know they didn't take that serious because you know they everybody high tapes or whatever going on or expectations whatever was going on this season. So now you you left ASU. You had a chance to go back home, um, and then you know it, it, that whole situation gets tripped up with some serious adversity. You know you you get put in a situation where your name ends up on the news and on TV screens, and 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 your yeah. your shots taken away from you, um, and then you know that that all sort of clears up a lot more quietly than it came to be. Um, what what was that like? You know, leaving ASU, going to pursue your dream, and and facing the adversity that you faced, and 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 how are you doing now? Uh, well, that was just like it was just that, that, that that's just a touching, you know, topic. But it it just it was, I, I went home just to show kids because I'm not East Cleveland ain't really the the place you know where 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 everybody believe in hope, you know what I'm saying? I'm believing, you know, so uh, that, that, I went home to, I went home to talk to the kids, play football with the high school. I'm playing quarterback for them, you know, running, talk, having, going into the assembly, talking to the kids, and just showing like, man, we can, we can all get out of here, you know, and just have fun. And unfortunately, you know, it took a different turn. Uh, but at the same time, that that I'm not the person that's gonna just stop, you know, stop my life and just be down, you know. And for, of course that hurt me, you know. But in the, the day is how how you get hit, you know, how you gonna respond. So I responded well, you know. That's why I just got this book coming. I started talking to uh, actually uh, next month I got something worked out with uh, with with Jalen Strong. Uh, we going to everybody coming. He gonna come to Cleveland with me, and we we hosting one of a camp out in Cleveland, a football camp for uh, kids seven through seventeen. You know, and we gonna just bring the community together, bring the community together. You know, shirts giveaways, try to do backpacks, and we gonna try to just uplift the city with food, drinks, ice cream, and then have all the kids do camps and just bring the city, I bring some positive to the city, so that's when I'm, you know, I'm just, I look for different ways at the same time, I just look for different ways to uplift my city because, like, you know, people get caught wrong place, wrong time, you know what I'm saying, I, obviously I, I mean, it, just, it was just a bad situation, I can't really get into, I, have, I didn't do anything, you know, right. just, you know, but. I don't know that part, but. No, I completely understand, yeah. but I, you know, so 
somebody I've followed really closely over over the last few years is Maurice Claret. You know, he's he's from an area that you're familiar with, and something that he always says is, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You know, you had a chance to leave East Cleveland, come to Arizona State, surround yourself with, with like-minded, motivated people, and now you have a chance to bring some of those people back into your neighborhood and, and try to show kids, uh, show kids the same, you know, the, the, the same opportunities um, that you had, and that's something that I really appreciate. But I just, I, I want to know, just what's your, what's your vision for East, East Cleveland? What do you want to see change, and how do you want to be part of that change? Uh, I want to see like just more, more, more people involved. You know, I want to, I want to talk to kids. I want to show. I want to stop, stop the violence. I want to just stop. I want to stop the kids dropping out of seventh grade and dropping out of school, trying to just become a rapper. Trying to. I want to stop. I want to tell kids to steal hope, not kids. Like I go to school. Like I went up to my school. I heard probably about. 300 cuss words in one minute while walking in the building down the hallway for for 60 seconds I'm hearing 500 cuss words kids out in the hallway just doing whatever they want like I just want to change that I want to show them like man like life after high school you know it's going to be it's not going to be how y'all think it is now I'm trying to like I go to uh, my school my high school and I, I talk to kids and I try to tell them like everybody think you know, I want them to go to college. You know, I want them to make something of themselves. Because I want to, I, I want them to understand that the people that you with in high school, like you, you, you be lucky you have one, they, one of them stick with you after high school. Like y'all about to go complete different ways. You know, uh, it's gonna change for you. Like it's gonna so much change. Like moms gonna stop supporting you how they support you when you're not doing nothing. You know, and like different stuff is gonna happen. Like life's gonna hit you hard. And they and they don't look strong enough, so I'm just trying to get them strength. So when life hit them, they know how to respond and get up and just keep going. Like you know, shake that off and you know what I'm saying, keep going, keep fighting. And I just want to bring like strength to the city and like make my city strong and just bring positive energy and show people that we still that people we we still care. You know, like it don't even matter. Like okay, I got jammed up in my city, but. But that's not gonna stop me because I know I've seen so many faces growing up that that want to get out. You know what I'm saying? We not, I'm not about to let the bad stuff, the bad people win. Like, no, I'm still gonna try. I'm still gonna try. I'm still moving on with my life. I'm still gonna make stuff happen. That's what this book about. You know, just overcoming everything. Like, you get hit, you know, you get hit, but how you gonna respond? You know, it's gonna it's gonna show my life just like the stuff that happened in my life like around me but like, I grew up in a messed up situation not far as my uh, housing you know and my mother did everything she could to do you know take care of nine seven boys two girls so uh, I'm from outside when I walk outside you know the stuff I see and the stuff that's around me it's about how I stay on the right track and graduate high school graduate uh with my associates, then graduate and get my degree. Like, you know, just staying on, staying focused, you know? So, that's, it's about just overcoming and everything. So, I want to bring Potters back to my city. Fourth and Trenches is the name of the book. It comes out in June, right? 
Yeah. Tell me about how you hooked up with with uh, uh, Chris Johnson and how the idea came to be. Like, how how did Antonio Longino end up, you know, co-authoring a book on on his life? Well, this 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 is a book. Actually, Chris Johnson is actually my brother. Okay. So Chris, Chris Johnson is actually my brother, and uh, while while this stuff happened, Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson was in, was incarcerated uh, the, uh, some of the uh, things what what the stuff that happened with me and and we and we talked everything like that and this is my brother like I've never been a second without him you know he flew to every Arizona State game every home game every, he was always out here with me and and we and we've always been talking about this and he, and he, and he called me we, we had like a standstill while all this going on like I was stuck and and I was just telling my like, man we gonna be good and like watch this watch watch how I make this watch how I shake this off and make make this work and I, I, I went to uh, I went to talk to some kids and he was just telling me like man like you, you you're so powerful you know you people like people need to hear your story like you you got a lot going man he just started he started talking. We, I'm just giving them like my life, like even though the parts he know, and we just get to, just get to going. And uh, a book you created. It's about just the life stuff. What happened? You know what happened? It's like it's, it's about everything, like from from playing Pop Warner all the way up to to today. You know, it's a it's about everything, man. It's about but how, how and it's gonna and it's gonna show kids that there's a lot of stuff in this book, but it's gonna show kids that man, like what you go through, you know, like it's it's always a, a better day ahead, you know. It's like you can get hit down so hard, but you can just get up, and it's gonna show people like bring bring positivity and just show people like man, you ain't the only one with a problem. Like man, it's a lot of people out here facing problems. But it's a lot of people that's going to just sit down and just become a victim, and it's a lot of people that's going to just get up, take charge, and just get out that get out that situation. Fourth and trenches, uh, you got the hashtag you used all through ASU on there. It's personal, uh, something that you talked about uh, with, with me um, for for an article way back when. It's something that I definitely appreciate. I can't wait to purchase a bunch of copies, give it away to some of these kids out here uh, when I cover Arizona high school football. Um, I guess I just, if you could leave uh, the listeners with just just one thought of what you want this book. Um, to do for people, and and it, you know, is it just a starting point for you? Is this something that you know you're gonna explore more and more, telling your story and seeing how it can be an impact on people? Yeah, I think I'm gonna uh, explore more. I, 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 definitely more, you know, to the story. Like I feel like it's gonna be because because why stop motivation? You know, so I feel like it's gonna it's definitely gonna be more. But I want to leave people where I want to leave like. No matter, like for this book, it's like it, it just means no matter what you're going through, just don't give up. Like just keep fighting. You know, your 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 blessing might not not might not even be your destination, but it might it might just be your journey. You know, but at the same time, 
don't ever quit because right right when you think you're like you about to quit, you know, that miracle probably right there. Like just not, never quit and just never give up. Just stay positive and go towards your goal, man, and just live life. You can't just be sitting there thinking what everybody else thinks and how everybody feel about your life because at the end of the day, man, like only you can live your best life. People going to say what they want and do what they want, but like, man, I, I, I lost a brother this year. I mean, things happen, but man, and I talked to him the night before he passed, and he just, and he always just told me, man, like, be proud of me, man. It's like, don't, don't let nobody, don't let nobody stop you from what you're doing, man. And he always, you know, gave me motivation, and, and we always call each other every day to get a laugh out of each other each day just to make sure, even though we met going through a messed up situation, you know, a good smile is, I mean, a good laugh is always good to have. So, man, just stay positive and just keep going, man. And don't, uh, and add a little hustle to that prayer. I like it. Add hustle to the prayer. Stay positive. Keep going. It's advice for the football field. It's advice off the football field. Fourth and Trenches. Antonio Longino, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Why your main struggle? Gotta keep a man humble, subtle. For generations, I'm under. Alcoholics and adulterers, tobacco pipe fillers, cancer killed them. Infected diabetics, fatherless and broken families. For generations, I'm under. Stoic and unimpressed. Disneyland looked like us, happiest place on earth. Till the veil came down and Roman started to burn. Family looked like cursing, now I'm staring at this verse. And to transition away from football and finish with on, on a, what is, I guess, a sour note, but something that a lot of people are talking about, so I want to make sure that we talk about it as well. I want to bring in Jack Harris to talk about the Arizona State baseball program. All right, first-time guest on the Devil's Junkie podcast, Jack Harris, writer for devilsdigest.com. Um, excited to have you on, but uh, you you have the task of talking about this Arizona State baseball team uh, that has really fizzled uh, this season. I, I feel bad. I had had Justin Toscano on before the season, and we just went back and forth about how much fun this team was going to be to watch, whether they were good or not, because... Um, you know, all eyes were going to be on the baseball team. The drama was going to be, you know, will they or won't they bring Tracy Smith back? And that seemed to be squashed really early in the year when the team looked really bad and there was no indication that Ray Anderson was as frustrated as 90% of the fan base. And so it went from it went from being a team that was going to be, you know, full of drama and fun to watch to just sort of a I mean, just the elephant in the room type situation almost. And I mean, you you've been around this team. How how have they been? How how has the record affected their their spirits? Do you think the losing and and the errors? Do you think it's all compiling? Just what what's your take on the overall vibe of this ASU baseball team right now? Well, I think the vibe in the in the locker room with the players is different than it was last year. Um, it's much better this year. Um, a lot of the guys have talked about how this season felt different because, for one, um, they're just a much tighter group. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of to be expected when you have a roster that's made up of a whole bunch of freshmen and a whole bunch of sophomores. Um, and I think they kind of understand that the expectation was not – this season going to be, well, they need to make a deep postseason run. They, they understood that there are going to be some growing pains. Now, I don't think it, I don't think anybody expected, you know, we, we'd be entering the last week of the season and they're eight games under 500 again. 
Um, but I, I think, at least in the locker room, um, they feel much better about themselves, especially going forward, because you can see flashes and signs of the potential that this team does have, especially offensively, and that's kind of what I think is keeping the mood more upbeat this year than it was at the end of last year when they really struggled all through Pac-12 play um, and, and had to hit the reset button. So, I mean, you mentioned offensively. They're hitting. Uh not only are they hitting, I mean, they have some guys that are absolutely raking right now. Spencer Torkelson, I mean, just remind me a little bit of what, what Spencer Torkelson's been able to accomplish this year. Yeah, I mean, you don't ever expect a, a guy, especially when you play at Phoenix Municipal Stadium and in the Pac-12, which has some big parts, you don't ever expect a 25-home run season. And then you really don't expect it from a freshman. Um, so what he's been able to do this season with the power, he's hitting three twenty-three. he's getting on base almost half the time. Um, and this is a guy who was not one of the the, the top prospects coming in from, from this, this season's recruiting class. I mean, there were other guys that I think ASU fans and, and, and Tracy Smith himself were probably more excited about, but Spencer Torkelson, right from that opening weekend, has been great, um, and, and he's going to be kind of the, the offensive piece when you're looking over the next two or three years that they're going to try to build around. Uh, Gage Canning's had a great season for a lot of it. He was hitting above 400. Um, he's a junior, so this probably is his last series as a Sun Devil unless he decides to come back. Uh, but he'll probably go um, relatively high in the MLB draft this year. And I think if you just look down the lineup, again, for a team that starts usually anywhere between five, six, or seven freshmen in the lineup each night, the, the fact that you see guys like a Gage Workman, like a Lika Williams, um, who are producing at the plate for you even in their first year it is a good sign. And again, offensively, it has not been the problem. They've been one of the better teams in the Pac-12 at the plate, um, and if they had just gotten probably league average pitching and defense, this is a team that's probably getting ready to play in a regional right now. I mean, this is a team that basically, basically, if they don't score four or more runs, they don't even have a chance to win. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that that's kind of scary. I mean. It, because a lot of what the perceived woes for Arizona State were kind of started when they made a change at pitching coach a couple of years ago. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm I'm just looking through this schedule right now, and almost every single game where they weren't able to at least put four on the board, they lost. And even more so, you have games where they're dropping seven, eight, nine runs and losing as well. Um, at least on I'm looking at three or four different occasions right now. Uh, where where they scored seven runs and weren't able to come out with a win against teams like Pacific, against teams like Utah, uh, Washington State. I mean, Miami of Ohio. What what do they need to do? Is it a matter of new blood? Is it a matter of getting healthy? Is it coaching? What do they have to do to 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 get better on the pitching side of things? Oh uh, well, I think. When you look at this pitching staff, um, part of the problem is that I think from a development standpoint, entering this year, um, last season you mentioned the pitching coach changes. They didn't have a dedicated pitching coach last year, and I think that undeniably hurt some of the the, the growth of some of their younger pitchers to where the group they had this year just was not deep enough. You look at the rotation, has really been a revolving door outside of Eli Lingo's in the Sunday spot. The bullpen has been a mess all season long for this team. They're going to add new blood. Um, Tracy Smith is very excited about the pitchers he's bringing in in this upcoming recruiting class. He thinks that 
that that's going to be the thing that can push them over the hump. Um, but, yeah, I mean, pitching has been an issue all year. You're exactly right. And I think really the, the bullpen struggles have been the most demoralizing thing. They, they haven't really been able to nail down a closer. Connor Higgins was, was kind of expected to be that guy after he got drafted last year, came back to school. It hasn't panned out. Ben Macoya was that guy for a little while at the beginning of the year. He faded. Dellen Race is that guy now, but they're, they're, they're taking it easy with him because he's a redshirt freshman who's having to throw way more innings than I think they expected. And that right there is a perfect example of they just haven't been able to find the right pieces or enough pieces to consistently get good performances on the mound. The defense hasn't helped either, for sure. Um, but, but that's been the biggest issue, that they've lacked command at times. Um, and like, like you said, you just go through the schedule, and there are a lot of games that they probably should have won where the offense probably did enough to win that they either didn't or that the bullpen blew late in games. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that just over the last seven games is averaging eight runs a game, and they're three and four over over those over those seven games. And and, and so I I see them. I, you know, it, obviously Arizona State's going to be a desirable place for recruits to want to play baseball. Um, but at some point, back to back losing seasons, do you start to see? a dip in what Tracy Smith's able to bring to Tempe. I don't think you see a, a dip yet. Um, if you look at the, the recruiting class they have coming in, um, it's one that um, is ranked pretty highly. And I, and I think, like you said, it, it's going to take a lot more than a couple bad years for ASU to stop bringing in recruits. Um, it's just, when, when you visit Phoenix Manning, you look at the facilities they have and, and the resources they have, it's always going to be a program that can get players to Tempe. The, the issue is once they get there, can you develop them? Um, and, and through, you know, the Tracy Smith's four years, uh, sometimes the answer has been no. And, and I think you would expect in years three and four of a tenure to, to not be going through two of the worst seasons, probably the two worst seasons in program history. Um, but I think from a recruiting standpoint, the problem hasn't been – getting good enough players it's been trying to to get them on campus and develop them that that has not always been that so i mean asu fans that are dissatisfied with baseball they're loud um you know that tracy smith who maintains a, a a social media presence you know that he sees it and if you know that he sees it then you definitely know that his players see it do you think some of that I won't say negativity because I think it's just negative reactions or maybe it's just appropriate reactions to negative play, however you want to phrase it. But do you think that feeds into uh, the overall mood atmosphere of the team at all? Or do you think they're able to kind of keep the focus in-house and block out some of that noise? Because, I mean, it's it, there is quite a bit of noise right now. Yeah, I, I think, um, and it's, it's, it's probably different for, for each player, but I think Generally, when you see um, the the negative comments and kind of the criticism, um, it's it's mostly directed at Tracy Smith as opposed to the team and the players in, in general. So I think um, you know Smith has talked about he he understands that that people are upset with with the the wins and loss totals as he likes to say, um, and, and he doesn't try to hide from that. Um, is, a, is a line he, he's used a lot. But I don't think uh, it's affecting the players much. At, at games, they're, they're 
you know, the, the atmosphere at the ballpark isn't one where there's a lot of booing or anything like that. Um, I think that fans generally understand that from the players' perspective, it's a young team and that, uh, you know, the, the mistakes that they have been making, a lot of it has just been down to inexperience. All right, Jack. Well, I really appreciate your time. I look forward to having you back on to talk about more than just, you know, disappointing baseball season. Love the work that you do for <laughs> devilsdigest.com. Love being a teammate of yours. Um, I guess, uh, what, is, what does ASU baseball have left? What, what can they do to at least finish with, with some pride? Uh, well, the, the treat that uh, we're going to get in the series this weekend is uh, Spencer Torkelson and Cal's Andrew Vaughn. They're one and two in the country in home runs. They're going up against each other uh, in, in a three-game set this week at Phoenix Muni. So that that will be the storyline. They're from the same town in Northern California. Um, they they played against each other in Little League growing up. Um, so that, that little storyline will be interesting. Outside of that, uh, you're reaching, I suppose. If ASU wins the series, they'll finish with – more wins than they did last year, um, but if, if they don't, then it's going to be a year of uh, another 23 or even 22-win season. All right, well, that, that's the great thing about baseball. There's always a game within the game, so uh, if, if, if you want to see Spencer Torkelson chase uh, what is essentially history, uh, head on out to Phoenix Muni this weekend. Um, he's got 25 bombs right now working on more, and I always appreciate your time, Jack. Rob, it was a pleasure. I might praise on state. I might praise on state. What up in the way now? Can you roll with the weight? I'm vibing in your ear now. I might praise on state. Sunday morning. Church choir on familiar context. Put it on my heart. Praise God for the conscience. Right in the spirit. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it? Artificial Well, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everybody who subscribes. Subscribe to Devil's Digest. Uh, here, let my two-year-old daughter uh, tell you. You can't say no to her. Say subscribe, Miles. Subscribe, Miles. Or, yeah, she just told herself to subscribe. But make sure that you subscribe to devilsdigest.com, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and do everything that you can to support uh, the media that are out there to support your interest in Arizona State athletics. Uh, for me, for my two-year-old who has crashed my podcast, and for devilsdigest.com, this has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself Devil Town Town